All right. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. We're going to be reading through verses, uh, chapter 10, verse 20. So it's quite a bit of reading that we're going to do. So I'm not going to say anything beforehand. We're just going to read straight through this, and then I will preach on this text. If you're not there yet, we're going to start. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs Wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land! When your king is a child and your princess feast in the morning, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princess feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature to tell the matter. Father, this is your word, and we pray today that you would help us to gain understanding about who you are, that it may change us, that it may delight our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, David preached the text that precedes this text, 
And afterward, in home group, we discussed this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a, it's a very important question. Today in our passage, the writer is going to give us his under-the-sun answer to that question. But remember that he's been repeating this under-the-sun mantra for the whole book. And I want to remind us before we begin what this means. This means that under the sun, there is a way that things seem to work. But what we've said throughout this entire series is that God isn't under the sun, but he dwells above the sun. He created it. So keep in mind as we move forward this morning that fact. If not, you may start throwing things at me. All right? But our writer says that under the sun, the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. The bread is not to the wise. The riches are not to the intelligent. The favor is not to those with knowledge, but rather time and chance happen to them all. That's important that we understand what he's trying to get across here. What he's trying to get across is that when a tortoise and a hare line up for a race, you think you know who's going to win, right? But you'd be wrong. What he's trying to get across is that when a teenage shepherd boy faces off against a seasoned warrior giant, this little dude's about to get pummeled. Again, you would be wrong. What he's trying to get across is that you would think Incredible gifts, talents, and brains would make the most successful in society, right? But they don't. Our writer is putting forth the notion that it doesn't matter how strong you are. doesn't matter how fast you are. doesn't matter how smart you are. No, life is based on chance. Or another word we might use, luck. What if I told you this morning that scientific research actually backs him up on this? In 2018, Cornell University published a study that took a look at people over a 40-year period. Now, I won't go into great detail about this study because it's pretty nerdy. Thank God for nerds. But basically, it compiled a list of people's intelligence, skill, and ability in various fields. And they discovered a couple of things. Number one, they discovered that the conventional distribution of wealth held true. 20% of these people enjoyed 80% of the wealth. But the other thing that they came to find out, and this is why I bring the study up, is that the maximum success never coincided with the maximum talent. And vice versa. Never. So what makes the difference, you might ask? Well, according to scientific research, pure luck. Or in our writer's words, chance. Now, I'm aware this is hitting everybody in the room differently, all right? I know that our seasoned, um, you know, esteemed, older generation is thinking, this is bonkers. This is madness. What you're saying, it makes no sense, Right? And I know that for our younger group over here, I'm thinking to myself when I was like 20-something, is thinking, you're telling me I got a chance, right? <laughs> so 
I get it. But here's the first big thing that we need to take away from our text this morning. The writer wants us to take away. What he wants us to take away is that under the sun, we are all subjected to time and chance. No one knows when they'll die or how it will happen. These things just come upon us. That's what the writer says. Now, if you remember back to Ecclesiastes 3, uh, uh, sorry, I actually preached that sermon as well, that passage where he talks about there's a time for this and a time for that. This point that we're making this morning is similar to that point. That point we said that time doesn't belong to us. Time comes upon us. We don't control the times. But what our writer adds to that equation this morning is chance. He's saying not only do things come upon you and you don't want to control them, but they are completely random. Random. Now the way in which our writer will try to prove this in our text is by contrasting wisdom and folly. And what we'll see in the next 22 verses is what seems to be a smorgasbord of short stories, proverbs, case studies, comparisons, saying, and a command, all dealing with wisdom and folly. But this is where we must be careful that we don't lose our writer's main point, which is definitely easy to do in such a seemingly disjointed passage. And this is where I want to just say how thankful I am to God for our weekly sermon collaboration. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's where uh, a lot of the men gifted to teach in this church come together and help the poor soul who has to preach this text. And I'm thankful for these men. And what, this, what these guys helped me to, to see this week is that these next 22 verses aren't necessarily about wisdom being better than folly. It seems that they are, but let me share with you Josh Kane's excellent observation here. He says, if I wanted to show you the hopeless circumstance I find myself in as a father when it comes to getting my kids to eat good food, I would probably tell you about two wonderful meals. I would tell you about the first meal, which was a steak dinner, buttery mashed potatoes, perfectly seasoned asparagus. And then I would tell you about the other dinner, a high fructose corn syrup tablet called a starburst that my kids love. And as I would go into detail about both of these meals, what you might begin to think is that I'm trying to convince you that steak is better than starburst, but you would be missing my main point. I'm actually just telling you how hopeless it is as a father trying to get his kids to eat right. Does that make sense? And so keep in mind, that's what's happening in our passage this morning. He does believe, the writer believes that wisdom is better than folly, but he's not necessarily trying to convince us of that. Rather, he's trying to help you see how hopeless this life is that seems to be controlled by time and chance. Our writer follows up his introductory statements with a story to illustrate this point. In verse 13, he says, a great king came and looked to take over a city. No one could stop this great king. Victory was imminent, but the king didn't prepare for this one poor wise man. We're told that the poor wise man, by his wisdom, foiled the king's plan and saved the city. Now, we're not given the details on how this went down, but what we're told next is even more striking than an underdog story of winning. What we're told next is that after this man delivered the city, no one recognized him. 
No one put a statue up in his name saying, because of this man, we still have our city. No one gave him a reward. The scripture and the writer tell us that no one even remembered him. He's a hero. and Nobody remembers him. And our writer is illustrating his point that under the sun, time and chance seem to rule everything. But he's also tying this point with his next point that we find in verse 16. Our writer says, we live in a world where time and chance happens to everyone, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Then in the last two verses of this chapter, the writer goes on to say, wisdom is better than the shouting of rulers and is better than weapons of war. But, and this but is big, one sinner destroys much good. We know from the rest of the scriptures that this is true, right? James 2.10 tells us that he who is guilty of breaking one part of the law is guilty of breaking all of it. We also know this is true from just life experience, right? How long does demolition day take? Usually one day if you got some good <laughs> demolishers. Uh, but how long does construction take? Months. And this is the second point our writer is trying to make. In a world of time and chance, wisdom is easily ruined by just a little bit of folly. Being a parent will teach you this. You make something nice or you spend a lot of money for somebody else to spend a lot of time and make something nice. And with one shove or with one kick, your kid can just ruin it. Right? But our writer goes on to exemplify this and in his own way, which his original readers would have understood. He talks about flies getting in perfume. Now, perfume took lots of time to make, and if you didn't cover it, flies would come in and land in it, can't get out, and now all of a sudden, your beautiful perfume just smells like a bunch of dead flies. Ugh, right? Nobody's buying that scent for Christmas. He says, a fool goes the wrong way instead of the right way. A fool is known just by walking around town and running his mouth. My dad used to tell us it's better to remain quiet and people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and what? Remove all doubt. But a fool doesn't do this. He just talks and talks and talks and talks. This is because a fool doesn't really ever process much. And I think this is one of the things I want to see in my own life change as I get older. I want to talk less and listen more. But another thing a fool does on top of talking all the time is react out of his passions. Now the elders, elders will tell you that I don't really have any room to be talking on this point. I'm a, thank you. That's the first time he's ever amen one of my sermons. <laughs> the first time. Thank you, Aaron. So now I know you can do it. Oh my goodness. I am a passionate person, and my passionate, time, my passionate times can bubble up into and spill over out into foolishness. I remember one time I was you know, working at a previous church, and I was on staff, and uh, we had talked about a decision, a really important decision we felt like that needed to be made, and all of us needed to do this together. And we came together for a staff meeting, and the pastor told us that he had just went ahead and made this decision uh, in, in my opinion, flippantly, uh, I don't think the decision that he made was very good. And, uh, and, 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 and passion and foolishness 
start to rise up in my soul. And I, and I asked him, well, why, did, why did you do that? We had talked about not doing that. That was an important decision. And he said, well, we were just out of time. I had to do something. And so I just chose to do something. And the fool in me at that moment said, well, I'm not going to be a part of this. And I got up and I went to walk out. And thank God that he stopped me. And with tears in his eyes, he said, sit down. And, and for about an hour, we discussed and we rehashed and we figured it out. So our writer tells us in verse 4 that if you and a ruler have beef, don't get up and leave like a fool. For calmness will lay great offense to rest. But this is the most natural way that we like to respond, right? We either fight or flight. And just for your information, I'm not always flight. I like to fight as well. But it's like just when we think we've got it all together and we've got it all figured out and we've got that little fool inside of us in his place, something happens and he pops up and goes, here I am, right? And in that moment, we say something, we do something because we feel justified, but afterwards we see this is absolutely not justified. The writer continues pushing us on this point in verse 5 and 6 when he talks about the evil of foolish rulers. He says, a foolish ruler turns all kinds of things upside down. When a ruler is a fool, it puts everyone else in danger, right? So it really seems that we're justified when a ruler is acting a fool to rail against that kind of nonsense, right? But look at the next thing he says because this is so easy to miss. He says, he who digs a pit falls into it. A serpent will bite a man when he breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Now, it seems like that's totally random, but this is our writer's third point. Just as a foolish ruler brings hurt on people, check it out, so does everyday life in a world of time and chance. So does everyday life. You can't escape hurt under the sun. That's his point. You want to get all mad when you see a fool causing hurt, but are you getting all mad when random chance happens? Most of the world is trying to figure out how to create a utopian society where mistakes don't happen. Some are even saying it's going to happen on a different planet, right? Well, hopefully we're not there. It's not going to happen. Under the sun, fools are placed as rulers and foolish things happen to wise people because of time and chance. An illustration of this has made the news headlines this past week. You may have seen this. Alec Baldwin was uh, acting on the set of this movie called Rust. And what we're told was that he's using a prop gun. It's a movie set. And he fires the prop gun and a projectile comes out and hits one of the cinematographers and kills her. Right. Injures a director, putting him in the hospital. And everybody is going crazy about this. How in the world does this happen? In Hollywood, where we have the greatest technology, we literally bring things to life, but we also have all kinds of safety protocols. This kind of stuff should always be avoided, but it's not. And it won't ever be in a world of time and chance. Now, does wisdom help limit the amount of hurt? Well, of course, and our writer concedes that in verses 10 and 11. He says, if the axe is dull and you sharpen it, it will work better. And if you charm a snake before handling it, you probably won't get bit. But remember that wisdom doesn't trump time and chance. And wisdom doesn't eliminate foolishness. 
As long as humanity is alive, fools will always be among us. And until we are glorified, there will always be one running around inside of us. So in verses 12 and 15, the writer tells us a little bit about fools so that we'll know how to spot them. And we'll recognize when we're being them. He says a fool is consumed by his words. This means he speaks in ways that overpromise and underdeliver. He says a fool has no real purpose or point to make when he talks. He says a fool pretends like he has everything figured out. He knows it all, but no one knows it all. And lastly, the writer says a fool can't even give simple directions without exasperating people. Has that ever happened to you? The big idea here with all of this is a fool talks a whole bunch, which is why I think the writer uses just one line in verse 12 to describe the wise. He says, the words of the wise win him favor. Very simply. The writer then brings our passage to a close by showing us a glimpse of foolishness and wisdom in real life. And by way of explaining these next few verses, I'm going to give you the Corey paraphrase. All right? It hasn't been published yet, so consider yourself privileged. But here it is. He says, Woe to a land that has a fool for a leader. Everything will be upside down. But happy will the people be when a ruler sets everything in its proper place. Fools let the house cave in, and all the while they sing a song that goes something like this. Eat, drink, and make it rain, baby. And then in verse 20, that's what he's saying, and in verse 20 he tells us this. When you see this kind of behavior, even being done by those in people of leadership, don't curse them. Don't. Even when you're in secret, don't. Well, good luck with that one. But this is where we come full circle. The big idea behind this morning's text is while the wise definitely have an advantage over the fool, under the sun, time and chance happen to them all. Pretty whack, right? It absolutely is whack. And if you're here today, what I've just told you should make you sad. Might make you mad. But it definitely should make you want to cry out, there must be something more. But there's not. Under the sun, this is all we got. And I want to state loud and clear this morning. That if you're trying to comfort people under the sun... Apart from the good news of one that's above the sun, your comfort is hollow at best. There is no comfort to be found in this kind of stuff, in this world that we live, in this reality that the writer gives to us. Some of you might disagree. You might think, well, if it's just by chance that things are taken from me, and if it's just by chance bad things happen to good people, then there's no one to blame for my pain. And I would rather it be this way. But can I be honest with you this morning? I think that's a very weak perspective. Mainly because it's out of touch with the rest of the scriptures. And I understand that it may keep you 
from having to reconcile all the wicked and evil things you see happening in this world with a God who is sovereign and loving and able to stop them. Church, I believe it's important that we don't shield ourselves from any biblical truth, no matter how hard it is for us to swallow. Amen? Isaiah 45, 7 says this. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You know, when we read a passage like that, it can seem cold. And it might make sense for a moment that you think, well, if that's true, then God is responsible for evil and he cannot be good. But here's what you would be overlooking. You'd be overlooking his intent. You see, if I told you that I had a friend that went around drugging people against their will, you might think that I got a really bad friend until I tell you that he's actually a medic. And when he comes upon tragic accidents where people are outside themselves because they're hurt really badly, he hits them with something that calms them down so that he can help them. That's his intent. His intent is to help. Now, this is a simple analogy that definitely breaks down, but the point is this. Intent matters. In fact, the scriptures clearly assign guilt based on the intentions of the parties involved. According to Genesis 50, both God and Joseph's brothers sent Joseph to Egypt. But only the brothers were guilty of evil. Why? Because of intent. Their intent was to destroy their brother. God's intent was to raise Joseph up. So when evil occurs, both God and creatures are involved. But only the creature is guilty of wrongdoing because of intent. Many of our confessions say that God allows or permits evil to happen. But this doesn't mean that God stands back and just watches. For that's not what Isaiah says. Rather, our God governs, our God orchestrates, and our God ordains evil and good. All things. And why does he do this? To the praise of his glory. And I don't say this as some young dude that just got a hold of some theology and I'm separated from the hurt that many of you experience and face in this life. There are real evils, real wickedness in this world. Just talking to a brother who spent all of last week doing grand jury duty, where he looked at over 600 cases, some of which were absolutely wicked. And I'm sure there are some of you in here right now experience some absolutely wicked evils in your life, in the past and in the present. But what I'm telling you this morning is that for those who believe the gospel, there's hope even in the midst of the worst evils under the sun. But this hope doesn't come under the sun. This hope comes from the one who is above the sun. Listen to Jesus in John 6, 38. 
he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, what Jesus says is he is carrying out the Father's perfect will. But what is the Father's perfect will? Well, under the Son, it seems like his perfect will is for wise Jesus to be rejected by his own. For Jesus to be mocked gossiped about, slandered, and treated like a false teacher. It seems that the Father's will is that the wise and perfect Son be betrayed by one of his closest followers and then denied by his closest follower. seems that the Father's will is that Jesus would be beaten, struck down, nailed to a cross, and murdered at the hands of wicked and evil men. That seems to be God's will for Jesus. But it seems... To us, to be pretty evil, and it is evil, because all we're looking at is an under-the-sun perspective there. But thank God for the rest of the scriptures where we learn that so much more is going on. You see, God himself is condescending to dwell upon those who he created in his image. Jesus was suffering and being tempted as we are, so that we would have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is becoming the perfect lamb. He is the perfect lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of all who would believe. And he was dying in order to defeat death for us forever. (laughs) And now his resurrection marks the beginning of all bad things coming untrue. Paul writes about this reality in Romans 8, 28, that God is using all things, church, all things, even the worst of the worst for the good of those called according to his purpose. And one day, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stand around the throne and we're going to worship King Jesus as we hear all the details and the stories within stories of our God's beautiful redemption of his people. And we'll come to know, in the words of Bob Ross, that all the happy accidents weren't accidents at all to the master architect and artist. So remember that under the sun, it may seem like chance and luck rule everything, but that's just because all you can see is about 40 years, like that study. But church, we know the Alpha and Omega. And He rules everything that is happening on this earth. And so I pray that this truth would set your hearts ablaze with worship today for our Redeemer and our God. And I'm praying that as we as his church cooperate with his spirit, he would lead us through the fire and the flood and His knowing that his intent is good. And he's teaching us to what? Trust him. And lastly, and this is important, I pray that we would preach this good news to everyone under the sun. That Jesus has the whole world in his hands. And while everything seems to happen at random, scripture and history clearly show that our God is orchestrating all things to the praise of his glory. 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't love his glory more than your own life, then I would invite you this morning to repent of your sin and trust Jesus for life, true life. I want to leave you with the Heidelberg Catechism definition of providence, which is the big theological term for what we've been talking about this morning. Here's what it says. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. This is good news. Bruce is going to come help us respond to this news this morning.